Welcome to the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Ozenchuk, and you can follow me on Twitter at DFBeanCounter. So this is our uh, our maiden voyage. This is the pilot episode. So to give you a little background on the podcast, we're going to be talking about all things that relate to stacking Dynasty Championships. That means we're going to talk about the players to buy, the players to sell, strategy. We're going to talk about Devi because you need to know what's coming down the pipeline. We're going to talk about the aging veteran that's still got it that you need on your championship team this year. If there's a topic that relate that is relevant to Dynasty, we're going to cover it. So let's dive in. So the question I get asked the most at pretty much any point in the season or offseason is who should I buy? Who is the target I should be going after? And the way that I play Dynasty is to chase the potential superstars. The most reliable way to get potential superstars is through your rookie draft. So I have a lot of draft picks. Once a player hits in the NFL, though, they're way too expensive to buy. Guys like Justin Jefferson, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown are obviously fantastic, but you just can't buy them anymore. They're not affordable. It doesn't make sense to buy them. That ship has already sailed. Luckily, 2021 has bestowed upon us a great gift. There is actually a very affordable potential superstar available right now. His name is Noah Fant. So let's let's start at the beginning with Noah Fant. Let's go through. I, I have a process that I use for evaluating rookies. It's called the Bulletproof Process. The process is different for each position, but for tight ends, I'm essentially looking at, well, for any position, I'm looking at how these players perform in metrics that I think matter. It's not a regression for not a regression model. It's merely just this guy looks like this guy. I think it's reasonable to suggest that they're probably pretty similar. So when it comes to tight ends, I'm looking for the quintessential run fast, jump high guys. I want ones that produced in college and I want ones that get drafted early. Draft capital matters to me. Film matters. Draft capital is still primarily driven by film, in my opinion. Noah Fant emphatically checks these boxes. So when it comes to run fast, jump high, nobody does it better than Fant. He went to the 2019 combine and weighed in or measured in at six foot four, 249 pounds prototype he ran a 450 40-yard dash his burst score was in the 97th percentile his agility scores in the 96th percentile and his catch radius is in the 98th percentile he is a one percenter he's the bill gates of athleticism for tight ends like he has it all if you could build a tight end in a lab it would look like noah fat so the second thing i'm looking at is production i want my players to dominate if they dominate in college Rather, if they don't dominate in college, it's pretty unlikely they're going to dominate in the NFL. The players get better, they get more athletic, they get bigger, stronger, faster. It's just harder in the NFL. So in college, I'm looking at market share of receiving yards, and I do it by age. So I'm looking, I'm comparing age 18 production to age 18 production, age 19 production to age 19 production. I want to compare apples to apples. So at age 19, Noah Fant literally doubled the threshold I'm looking for. At 20, he didn't double it, but he went well over the average, well over the threshold. And the impressive thing about that, the thing that I think people understate, is that he did it with another tight end on the team. He had to share with TJ Hawkinson, also a very good tight end. So the the next metric that I'm looking at is called uh, yards per team pass attempt. And it's, it's just like it sounds. Receiving yards divided by team pass attempts. And again, I'm p- comparing it at 18, 19, 20, 
Apples to apples. So at age 19, Noah Fan put up 1.39. The threshold I'm looking for him to hit is 0. 0.70. 1.39 to 0.70. It's not comparable. Noah Fan exploded the threshold. At age 20, 1.37. Threshold, 0. 0.99. Again, destroyed the threshold. So after this, uh, this sterling college career, Noah Fant shows up to the 2019 NFL Draft and the Denver Broncos made him the sixth highest drafted tight end in nearly two decades. Again, elite, another elite data point for Noah Fant. Then as a rookie, Fant went out and put up 562 yards, which on its own doesn't sound all that impressive. But once you realize he had the fifth most rookie receiving yards by a tight end since 2004 you start to appreciate just how special that is. And then when you factor in his trio of superstar quarterbacks in 2019, you have Joe Flacco, who literally made a career out of a hot four-game stretch that led to a Super Bowl. Brandon Allen, a guy who I recall having to... I I literally had to look him up when he found his way into the starter strike. I couldn't remember him as a prospect. And then... Drew Locke, and let's let's tangent here for a minute because this really hammers home what I'm saying about Noah Fant. Aside from a top-level first name, Locke was a bad prospect with bad draft capital, with a bad rookie year, and then for some reason, a ton of fantasy analysts thought, hmm, go by Drew, go by Drew Locke. I'm looking for consistency. I would consider that to be inconsistent. We have bad, 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 probably good. No, definitely not. With Noah Fant... It's completely different. At this point, we have zero non-elite data points. Everything he has done has been elite for what's expected of him. We have nothing pointing to him being anything other than one of the best tight ends of this generation. And I always say we know a hell of a lot about these players as prospects, but we know pretty much all we need to know after their rookie year. I believe this is true for Noah Fant. And to follow up on that, his sophomore year, so in 2020, his second year in the NFL... He finished his tight end eighth. In my research, what I found is that most of the great tight ends of the past 20 years have back-end tight end one finishes as sophomores. It isn't until their third year when they hit that elite range of tight end production. Noah Fant is right on schedule. He should be your number one priority on your shopping list this summer. He is the guy that is the most affordable that can break fantasy for you next year. To give you a couple examples, uh, Dynasty League Football is a, a fantastic website for what it's worth, and they have a trade finder, so you can go and look up players and see what they've been traded for recently. So one of the most recent trades for Noah Fant was Cooper Cup for Noah Fant in a 2021 third-round pick. Cooper Cup is one of those guys that I was talking about earlier, where he just like he's a safe floor. He'll probably be a wide receiver too, and the you know wide receiver twenty to thirty range and. And you can plug him into your lineup and it's going to be fine. But Noah Fant has break fantasy potential. It is much better for your fantasy team to swing and a miss on Noah Fant than it is to just hold on to Cooper Cup. In terms of uh, just raw like trade calculator valuations, Dynasty League Football has Noah Fant equivalent to the 203 in Superflex leagues. I would hammer that all day long. Noah Fant is going to be or at least has the potential to be much better than anyone that you can get at 203 in your in your uh, Superflex rookie draft. 
So I mentioned we know pretty much all we need to know about these players after their rookie years, right? So, so let's talk about that. One of my methods that I use is called ADP Trends. It's a super easy concept. I look at a player's startup draft ADP in May of their draft year versus the May after their draft year. I treat it as more of an eliminator than anything else. I don't think it tells us who's good, but it certainly helps us identify who isn't good. We rarely see players recover if they face plant per ADP trends. I use 12 slots as the cutoff. So if a player falls by 12 or more spots, I consider them a face planner. I don't buy face planners. That's pretty much what it comes down to. Well, I shouldn't say I don't buy face planners. I generally don't buy face planners. The biggest pushback I get on this every year, I do, I do this on Twitter every year, and the biggest pushback is always, why well, that doesn't apply to this player because he's my favorite player. They don't say it's my favorite player. They just say it doesn't apply because this player was too good as a prospect. The best example I can give you of this is 2019's most prominent face planner in Keel Harry. Harry actually dropped 41 spots after his rookie year. The fantasy community looked at what he did as a rookie and said, nah, I'm good. It happens all the time. When I look at my top prospects per my, my process, they're not immune to this. If a, if a bulletproof player face plants, it's pretty much over at the wide receiver position. One of the other big pushbacks I always get is, well, he was hurt. It doesn't apply because he was hurt. It's not fair. The NFL isn't fair. I don't know what to tell you. Like, your, your fair player got hurt. Sorry, but if he lost value, he lost value. As far as I can tell, it doesn't matter why. It's just that he lost value. So from 07, 2007 to 2019, that's how long I have the ADP data for. I have 27 wide receivers that were drafted in the first round of Dynasty Rookie Drafts that went on to face plant for ADP. Four of those guys went on to hit at least one top 24 finish. That's a 15% hit rate, four out of 27. Historically, that ain't good. So those players are Demarius Thomas, Golden Tate, Tyler Boyd, and Nelson Aguilar. So let's take a quick look and see if they uh, fell prey to um, to either of the common pushbacks, the common objections. It, Demarius Thomas had a pretty good rookie year. To be perfectly honest, I when I'm looking at rookie years, I'm looking at... Okay, let me back up for a second. When I'm looking at rookie years, I'm building sophomore complice. To do that, I'm looking at prospect grades. So the, the grade that I gave the player, I believe still matters because it seems to still matter, even after they've played in the NFL. Then I'm looking at pro football focus grades. So rookie year pro football focus grades. Demarius Thomas actually had the has currently still the ninth highest rookie year wide receiver grade since they started tracking it, which was in about 2005. So he had an, a crazy impressive year on a per-play basis. Uh, then I look at points per game. He was fine in points per game. He wasn't good. He wasn't like train wreck. He was somewhere in the middle. And then I look at ADP trends. And if you if you remove ADP trends from the, from the matter, his sophomore comp list is pure fire. It is stud after stud after stud after stud. His PFF grade was so high that I can take off draft capital filters and it still shows pure hits, only hits on his comp list. The reason that his ADP fell, he tore his Achilles tendon in February after his rookie year before the May cutoff. 
I believe that if he didn't tear his Achilles tendon, he probably wouldn't be on this list. Achilles tendon injury usually sidelines a player for a full year. It was doubtful that he would even play as a sophomore. So I don't think it's unreasonable that he lost value, but I don't think it's an indication that he was a bad player. Golden Tate, uh, he he didn't miss a few games. He only played 11, so I think his ADP fall could have potentially had something to do with missing five games. I doubt it, but it's possible. I think it's more likely to do with the fact that he only averaged 20 yards a game. He basically did nothing. He had 227 yards in 11 games. Nelson Aguilar, he played 13 games, so I don't think his fall was injury-related. It probably also had something more to do with his... Uh, his train wreck production. He only had 21 yards per game. And then Tyler Boyd, he definitely wasn't a faller due to due to games played. He actually had 16 games played. He never missed a game. And he had 603 receiving yards for 37.7 per game. So his production was okay. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. Uh, he was somewhere in the middle. I'm not actually sure why he lost value, to be honest, but he did. The Dynasty community was not impressed, and that's really what matters. Well, that's really what matters when it comes to these ADP trends. So, yeah, we're we're yet to see a bounce back after missing all or a large chunk of the rookie season. The guys that the bounce back, they they just bounce back. I don't know why, other than Demarius Thomas. The other three guys, I don't know what separates them from the other guys that didn't bounce back. They all seem to have been fairly poor rookies, and uh, yeah, it just variants. Sometimes uh, there's always going to be guys that don't follow the trend. Happens all the time. This brings me to the 2020 class. I, I led into all this because I want to talk about one player in particular from the 2020 class. Obviously, it isn't May yet. So I don't know what this player's ADP will do between now and then. But but let's make some guesses. Or l- let's look at both scenarios, I guess is maybe the way to put it. The guy I want to zero in on is Denzel Mims because I keep seeing him splashed all over Twitter and mentioned on virtually every Dynasty podcast that I've heard that Mims is a buy and that you're foolish for not buying Mims if you haven't yet. As of right now, his ADP is 72. His ADP back in May of 2020 was 72. He hasn't changed at all. So he's not a face planner at this point. But these underwhelming rookies, they don't tend to lose value until... uh, Till we get into rookie season, like the next rookie season. So once the 2021 rookies get entered, that's when we start seeing these players lose value. That's about to happen to Denzel Mims, which is why I want to talk about it right now before that starts to happen. If it starts to happen, it may not. He might be fine. For Denzel Mims, the sophomore comps are... Um, well, here, I'll tell you the names and you can determine for yourself if you think this is a, a profile you want to buy in on. Here are the hits. Alshon Jeffrey, Emmanuel Sanders. Pretty good players. Here are the busts that fit in the same category. I didn't eliminate any hits. I didn't eliminate any busts. This is the full spectrum. So Alshon Jeffrey, Emmanuel Sanders were the hits. Then we have Justin Hunter, Michael Harmon, Vincent Brown, Traquan Smith, Paul Richardson, Early Doucette, Stedman Bailey, Dante Moncrief, Doriel Green Beckham, Ryan Broyles, Marquis Goodwin, Taylor Price, and Leonard Hankerson. All these guys were second or third round NFL picks. All these guys had similar college production. All these guys had similar rookie years. This is the path that Denzel Mims is on. It is a terrifying, terrifying list if we flip him to a ADP loser. If we flip him to a face planner, 
there isn't a hit on the list. Both Emmanuel Sanders and Alshon Jeffrey hit. Everyone else didn't hit. If he is a face planner, he doesn't have a successful comp. He has zero successful comps. There is no one that we can point to and say, well, he did it. This would be unprecedented. Chances are, you know, maybe he doesn't drop for ADP. Even if he doesn't drop for ADP, even if he isn't a face planner, his comp list for not being a face planner is still a landfill, like a minefield. Just a whole bunch of guys that you don't want to buy in on. So if someone give me a second round pick for Denzel Mims, I'd snap it up. In fact, I, I think you can get more than a second round pick. I think you probably get maybe two second round picks, one this year, one next year. If you can get that, I'd take it. If you can get a first, even better. So whenever you're looking to sell these uh, potential face planning rookies, people always default to selling for draft picks. They want to re-roll and get another young player. I get it. It makes sense. But it's really hard to do. Most people won't give up that player's value in straight-up draft picks. The trick that I've found that works a lot more effectively is... Flip those potential face planners for veterans. Selling them for draft picks, people are too smart for that. So if you're looking to sell someone like Denzel Mims, his value in rookie picks should be worth a late first, early second. It's near impossible to get that from anyone. Instead, I like to flip them, flip to trying to acquire veterans. Buying veterans this time of year is actually quite easy. Nobody's looking at setting their lineups for another eight months. They aren't concerned about points right now. They're concerned with retooling their team and with getting young talent either through the draft or through trade. On the other side of the coin, people are looking to unload their veterans to kickstart the rebuild. It's near impossible to get fair value in draft picks for your aging veterans as well. If you have one worth, say, a late first or early second... It's really hard to get that from another owner this time of year. That means we have people trying to unload young face planners for late firsts and early seconds, and we have people trying to unload veterans for late firsts and early seconds. See where I'm going with this? It's a perfect match. People can't can't unload their young guys, and people can't unload their veterans for draft picks because nobody's selling draft picks. Swap them for each other. Find the guy that wants to get younger that's selling a veteran. One of my favorite veteran targets right now at the wide receiver position is Julio Jones because, of course, he's one of the best wide receivers we've ever seen. A lot of people think he's washed right now. I think probably because he he battled injuries and his end-of-season stats are poor. Last year, he ended up with 51 receptions on 68 targets for 771 yards and 3 touchdowns. But he only played in 9 games. So that's 85.7 yards per game. Equates to a pace of 1,370 yards over a full 16 games. I don't really like doing projections like that. Like it, it, It's unfair, but it, it, it's a nothing projection, so it, it's fine. <laughs> but here's where it gets really exciting. Julio left two additional games with injury where he only played 23 and 40% of the snaps. In the seven games he played 80% or more, he had 700 receiving yards right on the nose. That's 100 yards a game. You've probably already done the math. That's 1,600 yards for a season. Stefan Diggs was the NFL leader in receiving yards this year. He had 1,535 yards. Julio outpaced him. Devontae Adams led the NFL with 98.1 receiving yards per game. Julio outpaced him. Julio's points per game 
was 16.2, which was good for wide receiver 14 in points per game. Again, though, if we remove the two games he barely played this year, that number jumps to 19. 19 points per game. That would have put him at wide receiver four behind Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, and Stefan Diggs. That's elite territory. That is fantasy league winner territory. You need fantasy league winners on your team in Dynasty, regardless of how old they are. Usually, the older they are, the cheaper they are, and you're only looking for a year or two of production from these guys anyways. So go get them. They're not expensive. But I guess the question is, was Julio actually any good? Or was he just, you know, collecting some targets because he's Julio Jones and he's got a brand and those guys collect targets until they're out of the NFL? Julio was really freaking good. He was number 13 in PFF grade. He was fourth in the NFL in yards per run. Julio is who we thought he was. And based on their ADP in Dynasty League football ADP, Mims was going at wide receiver 38. Julio is going at wide receiver 36. If the owner in your league is trying to get a bit younger, there's a good chance you can make this deal. In fact, I'd say not making this deal is actually a disservice to your dynasty squad. You need to win every year. The way to win is draft players, hope you hit a home run, and if you don't, flip them for veterans that can help you win now.